I think you having that relationship with yourself then creates that kind of attractive energy for folks that are doing that work and wanting to step into this place of like, here's how I'm different. And I want to be around other people that are embracing that. It actually is that force and that gravity that can make that change happen even more effectively. Welcome to the Unconditionally Worthy Podcast. In this podcast, I will guide you on your journey to connect with the true source of your self-worth. Each week, we'll discuss barriers to unconditional self-worth, the connection between self-worth and relationships, self-worth practices you can apply to your life, and how to use self-worth as a foundation for living courageously. I'm your host, Dr. Adia Gooden, a licensed clinical psychologist, dance enthusiast, and a dark chocolate lover who believes deeply that you are worthy unconditionally. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unconditionally Worthy podcast. I am officially 30 weeks pregnant today, which is like over seven months. So I have about 10, 10, maybe 12 weeks to go with baby girl inside of me, which is kind of crazy. It's definitely starting to feel more real, especially when I feel her kicking and moving inside my belly. Um, It's been a real joy. And I kind of just think my heart is going to burst when she is born. So I'm looking forward to that. On this episode, I have Nikki Innocent, and we really have a wonderful conversation about kind of tapping into the power of your otherness, right? So often the things that make us different, the things that make us other are things that we want to hide, things that we want to sort of put away and don't want the world to see. But Nikki is really focused on helping people to embrace their otherness and We have a conversation about what that can look like, about sort of how empowering it can be to embrace your otherness as among some other things. So tune into the end. Uh, Be sure to let us know what you think, what comes up for you as you listen to our conversation. And as always, thanks for listening. I'm so excited to welcome Nikki Innocent to the podcast today. Nikki is a two-time TEDx speaker, podcast host, certified coach, career coach, focused on women's leadership and diversity, equity, and inclusion strategist. After over a decade in corporate America, the experience of feeling other is something that is familiar to Nikki. As a biracial Black woman, a child of immigrants, an elder millennial, a tomboy, and a creative, non-traditional business person, it was obvious that the traditional molds of success weren't built with people like Nikki, those that live in the in-between, in mind. So she's breaking them. On her podcast, Checkbox Other, Nikki shines a light on our relationship to our own unique identity and welcomes guests who share times where they have felt other or that they didn't belong and how it has shaped their lives. The power of witnessing these often unheard stories allows listeners to tap into the power of empathy and our shared humanity. We see that despite the ways we differ, 
We are much more alike than we are different. I had the honor of being a guest on Nikki's podcast, Checkbox Other, and we had a really great conversation about self-worth. And I thought that it would just be so much fun to have Nikki on this podcast to talk about sort of the intersections between feeling other and self-worth and how owning our otherness can really be a powerful step or process in our journey um, to unconditional self-worth. So Nikki, welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I I just need to like, I, I don't know if this ever happens for you, but when somebody's reading the bio about your life, you like feel it through your whole body. Mm-hmm. And so I am just so grateful to be here. But even more so as I was listening to that, I was like, you all need to listen to the conversation we had as well. Because <laughs> There's so much about the incredible work that you're doing that resonates so much with, you know, the type of world that I believe we could all work towards. And so mm. I'm just so amped to be here and talk about our self-worth because it is the key to unlock so much stuff. Yeah, I love that. It just makes me think of that. So since I was a kid, I've had this fantasy that basically, and I don't know if it's a fantasy is the right word, but basically my, I'll call it a fantasy, has been that everyone in the world has a way to share their unique gifts and make the world a better place. But like there is room for everyone and all of their, you know, interesting ideas and backgrounds and skills and talents. And the fantasy is creating a world where everyone believes that about themselves and shows up fully as themselves. And to me, like that idea just gets me so excited. I'm like, what if everybody could feel like <laughs> I have something to give an author and not because I'm pretending to be like that person yes. over there who they said was successful because I'm being fully me and I'm showing up fully as me and we weren't competing and saying you're right and you're wrong and you're good and you're bad, right? But we're saying, right. oh, we need all of you. We need all of us to make this world work. Yes. Oh my God. It's so funny because I feel like your fantasy slash, I think it's the future. Like, let me just, <laughs> I hope I'm gonna, so. um, yeah, I'm just going to speak that into existence. Let's have that be. I feel like young you and young me, we should have hung out. I, uh, <laughs> I, I called it for myself. Cause I remember feeling that intrinsically from such a young age. Mm. And I think maybe it's because of the fact that like, there were so many different identities that I was just kind of born into from the jump that I, that, I, that was different from the people around me that loved me that I was like, Oh yeah, we're all different. Rather than it being like, I look and act and am like everyone around me. So I have to kind of fall into in line with that. Mm. But it's funny because even as a kid, I remember calling it, it's like very self-centered in its own way, but I guess that's how children are as they go through their development. <laughs> it was called Nikkiville. I was like, so Nikkiville <laughs> is this place where everybody, and I literally like, I see it. I have a visual, like the little kid in me had this whole movie that was this like wonderful green pastures. Everybody mm. can come in. And really the only access that you need is kindness and you, mm. the ability to understand that people can be themselves. And this wonderful place is unfortunately not the reality we're living in right at this moment, but mm. there is so much potential because at least I believe, and I know very much when we talked about the podcast, like I believe you're born inherently worthy of who you are. And yes. so the fact that we lose that is not, that is not natural. That is part mm-hmm. of so much of the kind of wearing away and degradation that our societal messages give us. And so, yeah, let's go there. Let's create. Yeah, that. Let's, let's hang out together. Yeah. Like, suitcases packed. Let's go. Yes. You know, 
<laughs> we're, we're doing it little bit by bit by bit. I think in the work that yeah. both of us do and helping people yeah. embrace themselves and yeah. share themselves with the world fully is like starting to create that. And hopefully we'll get some momentum. Heck yeah. So I'd love to start this conversation where I start all of my podcast conversations with guests, which is by asking you to share about your own self-worth journey. Oh, of course. I mean, I've got all the stories. I feel like just for all of you to know, I started talking very young. I started talking mm. in like five months. And it oh was my just gosh. Like, so, oh yeah, it was a lot. My, and both my parents are not chatty. So sorry guys. Uh, so it's interesting because in thinking about self-worth, you know, I have grown up in, I guess, in love and in appreciation for therapy since I was in my single digits. And so mm-hmm. I think the self-reflection and self-awareness that comes with understanding the world around you and trying to understand what's going on inside your brain and also what's happening outside that's impacting you and your emotions and all of that has been such an interesting journey upon reflection of like what is seen as normal. For me, I I don't ever remember feeling like I wasn't worthy, like in the kind of all the way deep inside myself, looking at myself in the mirror. However, I grew up as a biracial Black woman in a predominantly white Mm -hmm. uh, suburb of of Connecticut. So all of those elements of just the kind of my racial dynamics, being a woman, being a woman that loves sports and, Mm -hmm. and really had no, I grew up with both my parents. I would say both my parents are feminist. And so very Mm -hmm. much we're like, you can do whatever, anything you want to. There is no one way to be a woman or be a girl. And so much of that is like, I mean, growing up as a millennial, we did get a lot of that messaging of whatever you want to put your mind to, you can. We came after the feminist movement came around. So it was like, there was a lot of talking about Mm -hmm. it, not necessarily being about it. There was not a lot of systems and structures that actually created that, but we can, we can kind of Uh, create those dreams that you can strive for. And so it's interesting because I do think that there was a bit of beauty in the Mm. fact that as a kid, like I was like, oh my gosh, okay, you told me it's okay for me to be who I am. I know I'm different. I'm going to step into this confidently. I I have this ability to connect with people. Let me connect with people. People are wonderful and great and good. And so this very kind of blind optimism Mm. that then, you know, then the world started kicking around a little. Mm. and um, kicking around at a relatively young age. So I grew up in a house uh, after my parents were divorced when I was three, so pretty young, Mm. and not the normal divorce story, at least. When I was growing up, like my parents still are like very, very pleasant with one another, Mm. friendly with one another, care very much about one another. And so that story never really fit, but it very much was a chasm. And my mother, uh, both my parents remarried, and my stepfather was a very uh, complicated person that created in my majority of my time, my home, a very challenging and what I now know with the language I have through kind of therapy and trauma research and even just like very much diving into why am I the way that I am. It was a very abusive environment, psychologically, mm-hmm. emotionally, and verbally. But I didn't know it at the time because kids, we know what we know. That's mm-hmm. our reality. And so while I was this like, I mean, strong I know who I am. I know why I'm here, kid. I was also in this home that was constantly telling me to be quiet, Mm. constantly telling me to like get in line and also be the audience member to somebody else's journey. Mm. And, you know, there's a whole lot of other stuff that I could easily start talking about here, but that's not the point. But there was a part of it that was like this very true identity to who I was and the world that was in my, you know, the four walls of my home that was such a, a juxtaposition to one another. And 
still having so much love for my mom and my dad and other members of my family, but also being like, how can these two things exist? Mm. And as a kid, I don't remember thinking it's me, but I do remember thinking I've got to survive this. Mm. And after so much of this, I, I always think about like that home life is such a, <laughs> unfortunately, a model of the world that is around us if you don't fall into what is seen as the prototypical successful human. Mm. Um, and if you, your identity just betrays the ability for you to be a cisgendered white male, <laughs> you can keep trying to assimilate, but, and also there are so many elements that you're constantly trying to twist around in order to be appropriate and accepted. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, you abandon so much of yourself. Mm. And so with a survival mechanism of my home, of what I learned to kind of stay safe, but then also in the world of like, oh, I can only show up this much, or I can only shine this brightly. Mm. I can only be seen as intelligent up until a point because there's somebody else's voice who's matters who matters more whether or not you've actually interacted with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was this odd juxtaposition of like really deep, like I know why I'm here. And also the world keeps telling me I can't be here how I am. Mm-hmm. And I also, you know, I think part of what is so beautiful, because there's a lot of times where I'm like, how did I end up where I am from where I started? And I think a huge part of that for me was I played sports. I always say like, I learned how to play soccer almost before I could walk. Mm. Um, And I do think the ability, especially in the last like five or six years, I've always been like, I wish more people learned how to lose because I think in sports, it, it like is built in that you learn what it feels like to lose. And you still get up anyway. You Mm -hmm. learn what it feels like for somebody to score on you and you get up anyway. You also learn how to gracefully win. And I do think so much of the education I had through what was, you know, I feel like such a huge part of my identity growing up was this ability to like navigate the twists and turns of the quote unquote game of life. And so as I grew up and there was for sure, I mean, I grew up in a place where, I don't know, we talk about it as like Northeast liberal racism. Uh, was very much rampant in its own, like, oh, that's sweet. But, you know, sorry, we don't have watermelon and collard greens for you, was one of the first things that my boyfriend's mother said to me when I came to their house in high school. I was like, what? It was, and, you know, take that out of context for somebody that doesn't understand. You're like, what's the matter? She's just saying she doesn't have food that you might like. It's like, no, no, there's so much coded language and all that crap, right? Right. And so to know that in your body and to also be like, but I am dating this person I really like. I, you know, want to be here and want to be in this space. It's constantly Mm -hmm. this negotiation internally of like, okay, I am valuable. However, in order to be in this space, what kind of trade-offs do I have to make? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as we grow up, as we, as at least as I grew up, I wanted to be in a place where I was financially independent. So I ended up going to a business school, predominantly white business school, and also 70% men at my school. And so it was very much like all these spaces. I feel like, I don't know why I kept doing it. I kept entering these spaces where it was like, this isn't really made for me, but let me try. Mm. Um, And my career ended up being very similar. And I ended up about six years ago, right before I always think people as they're turning 30, there's a lot of realization that comes around. You're like, okay, so I'm supposed to be an adult and I'm supposed to know what I'm doing for the rest of my life. How have the last 30 years been? And do I want to stay on this track? Mm -hmm. And Uh, At that point, it was like 28, 29, 30. I was hitting a burnout wall hard. And I realized it was because I had lost all sense of self in the identity I had operated within. Mm. And that came with degradating my my, uh, relationship to how worthy I was. Mm. I had to, I tried to be a very different, I tried to wear the outfit. I tried to speak the jargon. I tried to really be successful in a way that actually never resonated with me. 
I was never passionate about working in corporate America. I can tell you that. Uh, but I did it for what I thought were all the right reasons. And I got to a point where I was like, I don't want to do this for the next 30 years. How can I reclaim my sense of self and my sense of identity and understand that that wonderful kid that like knew I was meant to be who I am? How can I tap back into that and create space for her to play around and to live? And so that has been a huge source of like why I do the work I do centered mm. around like, you're not supposed to be a robot in this machine. Mm. Like, mm. and it's not like, let's blow this machine up. Let's start activating all the robots to realize they're not actually robots because then the machine itself will stop functioning. And it's beautiful for everybody within it to be able to actually be themselves. And so I've found in my own self-worth journey, the ability to create space and connect with people over that has bolstered mm. what that little kid was born into the world knowing. And I'm so grateful for it, but it's also still, let me not act like, oh, and happily ever after. <laughs> it's still, you know, uh, I, I use the uh, metaphor a lot of like driving with the emergency brake on. So I feel like a lot of mm. us, as we are trying to navigate how we we survive in this world and we operate in this world and hopefully thrive in this world, if we're dimming down who we are and trying to kind of hide it or silence it or change it. We are using so much energy. Like if you had the emergency brake on and you have your foot all the way down on the accelerator, you're just burning so much gas to stay put. And mm. so the ability to just be like, oh, I can just press this button and put it down and we can coast is like one of the most beautiful things that I witnessed in myself, but also in other people. And that witnessing, I feel like creates this universal collective worth journey as well that just mm. kind of bolsters it all. So we can be in that, hopefully that future, fantastic future state we were talking about. Yeah. I love how you're able to articulate that you had a deep knowing that you were worthy as a kid and your ability to sort of track that these things you experienced in your home and then these things you experienced at school or with friends, friends, family at work, then sort of like covered over that or caused you to question that or because you kept getting these messages that who you were and how you were wasn't what was going to fit in or wasn't what was expected, whether that was in your family or a school or, you know, a workplace, that that is what sort of challenged your sense of worthiness and that you're, you know, reclaiming your self-worth and owning your strength and your power and your gifts look like, okay, I'm no longer going to try to conform to these systems. And you're also going to try to free other people, right? Like help other people free themselves from this idea that, you know, they need to conform. And I think that's the trick that I always feel is present is, you know, when I talk to people who are in corporate America spaces, you know, it's often sort of this balance, this nuanced view of, yes, like you may have to code shift in this environment in order to navigate it effectively, given the constraints of the system, given the biases, given those dynamics. And how do you make sure that you're clear that you're choosing to do that and that you choosing to do that does not mean that your home culture, way of communicating, who you are is wrong or problematic. It's just that you understand that this system and environment is not in a space or a place to fully embrace you. And so you're making the decision to shift in this way, but you're not disavowing this part of you. 
in the process. And that is sort of like this nuanced place that I always want to help people get to because the challenge is really when we start thinking there is something wrong with the way I communicate. It isn't as good as the way these white upper class cis, you know, straight men communicate, or there is something wrong with who I am and how I express myself, how I show up, right? And I need to change that or conform that or shrink that because that often is the message because other people say, you know, I would be more comfortable if you really didn't speak up implicitly, explicitly. I would be more comfortable if you really didn't ask that question, if you really didn't, you know, show up as your full self. And in order to make me comfortable, you should shrink, right? And and I think specifically for BIPOC folks, and, you know, I have the experience of a Black person There's a lot of, you know, safety that's drawn from making white people comfortable. And there's a lot of risk that you experience when you make white people uncomfortable. Because uncomfortable, then I was scared. I was threatened. I was blah, 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 whatever. And then their violence against you is justified, right? And so this this is such a nuanced, like, complicated space to, to navigate. Oh, yeah. There's so many things. I think the fact white supremacy is something that one thrives in not being spoken out loud Mm. Two, the, uh, so I, my educational background is in marketing and branding and messaging, the marketing branding and messaging of white supremacy is fascinating Mm. and it is so intricate and it has been built over many generations and it has trap doors everywhere. Mm. and it shows up in ways that you're like, no, that's not what that's about. And I'm not, I don't want to actually look and see what it's about and realize that's what it is because there's not one, I can't flip a switch and it's over. Mm. Um, And I always talk about this when like, it's hard for, I'm grateful for the last few years of us being able to say these words out loud without it being like, because I do think that, that your comfort is more important than my humanity Mm. approach has been a huge underpinning of just, I mean, the history of, our country mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but I think there is so much importance in talking about it because it's not just for BIPOC folks. It's literally deteriorating our humanity for white folks as well. For mm-hmm. like all of these systems of oppression, yes, they disproportionately disenfranchise certain groups. However, they erode the humanity of each and every one of us. Yes. And so creating space, like at least for me, of course, in the last in the last five years, and you know, there's all different versions of this, and depending on who and what you follow, and the algorithms really create our own little niches on how we do this. But there's there's definitely a camp that, as we're talking about creating a future that's no longer oppressing people, is about kind of leveraging the tools that are telling you you're wrong, you're bad, stop doing what you're doing, change who you are in order to get us to a place where we're all free and liberated, um, or at least there is no more there is justice for what harm has been done. And I understand that. I mean, we've learned that kind of way we live in a, we live in a very punitive society. I understand Mm -hmm. that that would be a way we do things. I choose to create space that is, let's talk about that thing, but let's not make you the villain or the Mm -hmm. hero in talking Mm -hmm. about it. Let's actually like talk about what that thing is and allow ourselves to, I know this is kind of a background in social work, but like sit on the same side of the table and look at the problem rather than mm-hmm. you being on one side of the table and me being on the other and us fighting over what the problem mm-hmm. is in the middle. 
because oftentimes that is a comfort in our society in particular is let's split into our factions and let's fight each other rather than saying, can we be team? Like, let's be in a place where we're good to each other and see how we can do that together. And we might not agree on everything for sure, but is there a way for us to learn how to gracefully operate on this playing field so we can honor the humanity in each and every one of us? And again, mm-hmm. it is one thing for a group that hasn't had to actually consider the fact that their existence is disenfranchising other folks to actually see that. And now I feel like is that uh, the fragility, the discomfort that we're all kind of tiptoeing or walking around eggshells on, that it's okay to create a space for that to exist. And, you know, uh, I know I, I will talk about therapy all day if I can. Uh, I think in therapy, one of the things I have learned over almost 30 years of going is that oftentimes it's the thing that makes me the most uncomfortable or the thing I'm the most afraid of saying out loud that unlocks a door that isn't nearly as armored as I thought it was or didn't have nearly as much power as it has had over me in avoiding it. And um, I think creating a space where it's not, I'm not yelling at you in order for you to start to do those elements and and step into a zone that doesn't feel comfortable. But I'm also going to urge and embrace the discomfort a little bit because it is important for us to make change. And so for sure, I think as we change this relationship to ourselves and our collective humanity, that we are all different um, and that's okay. It really is important for us to get used to feeling uncomfortable and not necessarily think that that means that we need to shut down or that fear is something that means, okay, we need to go back to our camps and then fight in the way that we've always fought before that has led us to the same point in Mm -hmm. history over and over and over again. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I have witnessed time and time again, when I'm having conversations with people that I do not disagree with the ability to just be like, all right, that's okay that you don't agree with me disarming the conversation and not even knowing that it was going to being like, okay, cool. I don't agree with that, but it doesn't mean I'm not willing to hear what you have to say. And it doesn't mean that your experience is not valid. Let's talk about it like people. And especially again, in the last decade, the ability to converse over something we don't agree on has become (laughs) less and less. I don't know if it's, Mm -hmm. I mean, I know technology has played into it. I know kind of our, uh, the way that we've kind of self-segregated in a whole lot of ways in our identity buckets, but there is so much beauty at like coming to that table, sitting on the same side, looking at the problem and being like, you might not believe what I believe, but let's say what we believe so we can operate from like facts on the table, at least the opinions on the table so we can move ourselves forward. Yeah. You know, it makes me think of the Audre Lorde quote, the master's tools will not dismantle the master's house, right? And this challenge of how do we do something different and how do we not adopt the same, you're bad, you're wrong, I'm throwing you away approach to trying to change, which is very much where we are, I think, um, in the sociopolitical world right now. And so I think that is true. I think the other piece is there is healing that needs to happen in order for conversations like the ones that you're suggesting to be able to occur because, you know, you know, I think about just how heartbreaking it is this, you know, these laws around, you know, trans youth or, you know, it being considered child abuse and, you know, the Texas governor saying it's child abuse to provide trans youth with gender affirming care or is it Montana signing something? And it's just like, it's just like heartbreaking for sure. And you think about like, we would not ask 
a young person or an adult who's trans to sit at a table with somebody who has, you know, promulgated one of these laws and like talk it out. You know what I mean? Like it really (laughs) requires that there's healing, that there Mm -hmm. is an acknowledgement of the harm that has been caused. And we're in this space where people, I think, feel like you can't say you were wrong, (laughs) right? The idea of changing your mind, everything is documented, right? Because everything's on social media. And basically, if you change your mind, you're you're a flip-flopper, you're wishy-washy, right? And so there's like no room for exploration or conversation or healing. And, you know, it's sort of like, how do we get there, right? Like, how do we get to a place where we are acknowledging the harm? And, you know, I, when I think about the, how I help people on their self-worth journeys, I do think that this piece of like self-compassion and owning that you're worthy is really actually supportive in that. I think a lot of people hear unconditional self-worth and they translate that into saying, I'll never be accountable. I'll never, you know, I'll never improve. I just get to do whatever I want, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, actually, when you know you're worthy, you're able to clean up your messes much more (laughs) effectively than if you are wallowing in shame and feeling like you're the worst, most horrible person ever. Most people who are in um, overwhelmed with shame and feel horrible are not cleaning up their messes. They're defensive, they're avoidant, they're shutting down. But if you can stand in your worthiness and say, you know what? I hear that I harmed you. And that was not my intention, but I see it. And I am so sorry. You did not deserve, like that is what takes courage and a foundation of I'm showing up for myself and I'm showing up for and with you. And so I think that that is sort of like some of the power of working on these things for ourselves. It's not about navel gazing and just self-indulgence. It's actually about showing up to the world and to these challenges that we are clearly seeing in this world from a grounded place that allows us to engage in the conversations and in the work constructively instead of polarizing, accusing, throwing each other away, punishing, which really just gets us nowhere. Yeah. And, you know, it's that all or nothing thinking, right? It's either I win or you lose. It's that in order for us to even create any space about this, for me to, for me to even step into my self-worth journey, I must have to abandon any ability to think critically because Mm. you're telling me that I just need to like wash everything else away and not feel anything that might not be in alignment with what I believe the word self-worth means. Mm -hmm. It is really important. I feel like through so much of this, what I believe is a renaissance of sorts of like actual human centric operating and hopefully leadership is to really embrace curiosity. So as you're talking Mm -hmm. about the fear of actually changing your mind and evolving, like if we if we operated that way, we would have no discoveries. If we operated that way, we would we would just not be the human beings that we are. Human beings are built to be able to learn and to be curious, and to our neural pathways are set up so that they then can generate new things as we're learning and think about things in new ways. Like the idea that we are stuck in certainty is just so counterintuitive and mm. counter it counteracts our biology. So for those folks mm. that like use biology as a way to keep us where we are, it's actually not true. 
Mm. We're constantly evolving and changing. Just our cells are doing that. I mean, super baseline, like bio in like middle school, like you learn those things. And so I think the ability to create space for curiosity and to approach it with the, the ability to give yourself permission to think critically and for it not to reflect on whether or not you are a viable person. I believe that the ability to see things from different perspectives actually is a benefit to you and those around you, but also to create a space for nuance. Because I do think as you're saying, like, you know, we're not asking kids or even adults to step into a room with the person that is ready to punch them in the face and come and be like, hey, let's hug. Like, that's not Mm -hmm. the game here. Because unfortunately, we have indexed so far on this spectrum that there is like, I mean, my high school, a couple months ago, they had a school board meeting about the fact that they changed our mascot over a year before. So it had been in place for a while. And two grown men, so came to blows in the middle of a school board meeting break about a name change that had happened a year prior. Both of them are not high schoolers. I can promise you that. Um, And, you know, two white men fighting each other on camera, unabashedly doing that and saying, you know, the, the man who was in the audience yelling, they had this on the news. And again, I was not there. So I don't know all of the nuance of everything. However, I do know that (laughs) coming to blows at a school board meeting is likely not a positive or, you know, Mm -hmm. even uh, expansive and solution oriented outcome. And so, you know, allowing there to be the nuance that, yeah, okay, maybe you are threatened in some way, shape or form that there is a change happening to a mascot. Okay, let's give ourselves some time and space rather than being like, I don't want to feel this discomfort. So let me come and scream into a microphone and punch in the face. Let me give myself a minute to say, what is bothering you? Is it because, okay, I played sports at this school, so I identify as that mascot. And if you take my identity as a high school athlete away from me, I don't know who I am. That's mm-hmm. not about the name of the mascot. That's about a whole bunch of other elements of who you are and how you operate. But it's hard when we haven't been in a society that encourages us to actually take a beat, to look in the in-between, to understand ourselves. Right. One of the things I, I'm talking biology big time, right? Like, so we go to science class, we have all these, like, what is it, like five subjects we all are supposed to go to in school. And one of them is definitely not self-understanding, self-exploration and self-awareness. And that that is the piece that I feel like we would all benefit from understanding who we are and how we operate. And even like coping mechanisms, things that we think are just the way that everybody else operates. Oftentimes that's not why it's happening. It's not that it's the it's the download of like I always think about it like an iPhone. It's not the factory settings. It's oftentimes what we learned based on where we were and what we went through. And how can we understand, all right, am I actually in alignment? Are my values in alignment? Are, are, are my beliefs in alignment with the way that I've learned to act and survive in situations where I feel uncomfortable, where I feel in power, where I have privilege, or where I don't feel like I have power, where I feel like I am the person that's being targeted? And so I think it is, unfortunately, we have a, a, a system in society where there are so many folks, as we are prioritizing comfort, that don't actually have that lived embodied experience of what it is to not be the person where everything is built for you. Mm. And so it's really, really hard to empathize as we start creating a world that is not saying you don't belong here because you had power before. It's can we open up so that there is more space for other people to exist as themselves rather than trying to be like you. And I, my coaching is rooted in uh, education around women's leadership. And in women's leadership, the one of the main principles is about the fact that we need to throw away this idea of a zero sum game that Mm. in order for me to succeed, you must fail in order for me to, uh, 
excel. I need to push you down. I need to step on you to get there. Mm -hmm. It's the idea that like we have a finite amount of pieces in the pie. Unfortunately, again, I could get on all of these soapboxes here and talk about it, but like we have so many systems that benefit and are profitable because of our reliance on this idea that in order for me to get full, for me to move forward, somebody else must uh, have less or, or fall by the wayside or fail, or, you know, I need to beat them. And without our understanding of how to kind of navigate the reality that like, you know what, the world, we're, we're all here for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be really difficult for us to have those conversations if we're not willing to be human with one another. So we can't see each other as <laughs> mutually vi- viable and valuable people. Yeah, that ability to step to the table and to talk to a person that's causing harm, it- it's going to be really, really challenging and difficult. And at least for me, I feel like creating a space for people to be able to have that moment of, oh my goodness, the reason I'm mad about that mascot has nothing to do with the mascot. <laughs> And that's not like, let me shine a light on you and let me, let me blast you on Twitter. Let me, it's literally like, let me have a minute to reflect that myself. And it might take me more than a minute. I might actually need help. Am I actually allowed to ask for help? Did my experience in life tell me that when I asked for help, I would receive it? Or did it tell me that I was seen as weak and ridiculous? Okay, cool. And again, so much of this isn't to do it by yourself and magically flip that switch. There are support elements that are around, but without showing it and and walking the walk out in the world in the way that we can, it's really difficult to magically know that that's something that's a possibility. And so as much as what we are witnessing is a blowback to the fact that we've had a couple of years of very open conversation about how do we make this world a more equitable place and a less harmful place, it isn't at least Again, I'm going to stick in my like hopeful me and you as little kids, we're going towards this future where we all actually get to be good to each other. Like, I understand that that is a, uh, a pendulum swing that unfortunately is a result of, of generations of this kind of destructive, oppressive culture that we've mm. been in. And also, it doesn't mean that we're off track. It doesn't mean that it is the job of the people being harmed to fix those that are harming mm-hmm. them. It, it means that there is, there is nuance in the in-between. And there are people that have privilege and have power that can step in between the person that's being harmed and the person that's causing harm and say, Hey, can we talk this out? Hey, can we be human? Hey, can I actually just create a buffer of space that hopefully you can see your humanity in this moment? And if you can't, that's okay. We will do our work over here and do our best to start showing that. So when you are ready to see it, because I can't change you, I can't make you change. Mm -hmm. But if I start living an example of a different opportunity moving forward, hopefully those of you that are inclined to move in this direction will start moving there. And then you give permission for people that were even further into the outskirts of this is not possible to see, oh, well, you were close to me before and you've moved that way. Maybe I'm allowed to actually be vulnerable. I'm allowed to change my mind. I'm allowed to welcome someone in that I don't know. I'm allowed to release kind of those hateful beliefs that maybe were passed down to me because I heard my parents saying that when I was growing up. That kind of permission isn't something that is (laughs) legislated in a space to say, okay, well, you're going to be a criminal if you X, Y, and Z. The punitive Mm -hmm. approach doesn't then create a space where we're expansive. And so while our reality is extremely divisive right now, it can also exist with this work of really creating that space for expansive possibility to to live and breathe and hopefully be a role model in some way, shape, or form for folks that are close to wanting to kind of move that way. I was having a conversation earlier this week about ripple effects. I feel like that's something we talk a lot about. You never have any idea of the ripple effect that what you're doing right now will have. I think we even talked about that in uh, in your interview on Checkbox Other. 
And I feel like we are in a time generationally for sure, but even just the demographics of America where there is a huge shift happening that all of those ripple effects that have been happening over time and each of us having our own little ripple effects in this present moment are turning into a wave that that wave is getting larger and larger, all those ripples that is actually shifting the tide. And it might not feel that way because if you think about how the tide works, there has to be this big, huge draw in order Mm -hmm. for it to come. And so we have this really combative, dehumanizing uh, rhetoric, legislation, world war dynamics coming up that are in response to this pull of like, actually, we're all kind of feeling more like humanity is the way to go. And so we think about millennials are the largest generation at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And the millennial generation is more diverse than any generation before. uh, From a gendered perspective, uh, women have not been more educated than ever before. Uh, And so the idea that we can actually create a space where that idea of the zero-sum game doesn't exist, that we can be more collaborative, that we can lean into the things that have been traditionally seen as feminine or female, uh, whether they are or not, because femininity and masculinity are a spectrum and we all actually embody both. It's amazing. Uh, But we can move ourselves into seeing these examples of what it is to live in a way that isn't uh, destructive and isn't causing and creating pain. and creating harm and extracting from one another all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that you brought up your sort of coaching of women leaders um, and sort of talking about new frameworks uh, for leadership. I mean, I think one of the big shifts in the feminist movement is sort of, you know, looking at, you know, I think about Black feminism, I think about bell hooks and, yes. you know, thinking about, you know, what does it look like not for women to try to be like white men in their leadership and conform, but to be themselves, right? To own their power, to own, you know, maybe their otherness. And I'd love for you to share kind of what you think is the power that people can draw from tapping into and owning what makes them other, what makes them different, right? Because we live in a society right now that says, be the same. Be like this. This is the model. This is how you operate, right? Like this is how you succeed. This is what success looks like. And I think the people that we are drawn to are often people who are doing things differently and and creating different molds, but it feels scary and it feels vulnerable to do that ourselves. So I, you know, if you think about your coaching or kind of just how you think about it in general, like what is the power of tapping into our otherness? Well, I will say, I will go to, for those of you that are business folks or are familiar, I mean, this isn't, this isn't some profound principle, but in business school, one of the things that they talk a lot about is the power of differentiation. So for a business to be successful, and we think about like these wonderful, like the, the Facebook of whatever, or the next Uber of whatever, the idea is that you've created something that is different. And we embrace that difference. And that difference is something that's successful. It is something that can innovate and it's something that can move us forward. So within the business space, we actually very much understand what it is to Mm. appreciate the fact that there are ideas outside the box. Unfortunately, the way that all of the wonderful masks show up is that if that idea is shared by a very specific identity, it's heard more loudly. But the idea that we can embrace something we haven't seen before, we can embrace something that's different, we can create uh, more space for new alternatives. Like it's not, that's not new news. It's just that we've been, 
we've the message has been shoved down our throats for so long that like as a person, the vulnerability as a human being to do that is just far too risky. And mm. you know, you, you who do you think <laughs> depending <laughs> depending on the messaging you get, um, who do you think you are that you can step into that space and use your voice? Why do you think your story matters? Um, mm. Well, there's never been anybody like that before, so we can't believe that you have the capacity to do you know you can't lead because there's never been anybody that's looked like you that's led before. It's like, okay, if you want, give me any leader and I can find some element of who they Mm. are that hasn't led just like they did before, but that wasn't the thing that stood in your way. And so Mm. the power of owning your otherness, at least to me, is that self-worth bolstering, that kind of creating a really strong spine because you don't have control of what's happening outside of you, but you do have control of how you can kind of operate and navigate. I also think that power of representation that I think we are seeing more and more, um, unfortunately, that I think, at least in our, (laughs) I think of growing up and it being more like tokenization than representation oftentimes, Mm. but the ability to witness other people standing in their otherness is something that gives you the permission, even if you have no, like that otherness is not related to you in any kind of way. But witnessing somebody stand in what doesn't seem like it belongs is a really, really powerful thing to uh, to add to your memory bank, to add to the data of what it is to be a person. And so the power of owning your otherness is going back to that, uh, that metaphor of literally just getting your energy back by putting the emergency brake down. There is so much, if we think about the fact that we are in a culture of burnout right now, sure, from a career perspective, but also from like the life perspective of operating in a pandemic and trying mm-hmm. to act like nothing's happening in a lot of ways and still be super productive and, mm-hmm. and, you know, pay all the bills that are just magically getting higher and higher <laughs> for some <laughs> reason where there's no real need for them to, mm-hmm. um, all of, all of the things around us are set up in a way to, to make us feel like we should be small and the, the ability to say, you know what, no, I'm, I'm actually going to take up my space. Those, <laughs> those minimizing things, I always talk about them as like the boogeyman. Like they feel so heavy. They're the thing that keep you up at night. You don't want to open the door to your closet or look under the bed because you're like, wow, what's there? But once you actually open the door and you shine the light, you're like, oh crap, there was nothing there. Okay. Mm-hmm. My fear was there. It held, it held so much of my energy for me to sleep, right? I mean, how much power do we have when we actually get a full night's rest? Like very, very, uh, very, very literally, like the ability for us to not be putting on those masks, to be playing those parts, to be twisting ourselves into a mold that is not us. Releasing that effort and energy gives you so much back to be able to navigate the things that are challenges that you have made it through each and every day with much less gas in your tank. If you actually allow yourself to have more gas, it's less reactive and it's more proactive. Mm. Um, It also allows you to connect with other people in a way that I think you know, social media has its own, I use air quotes when I say connection, um, because, you know, it's two dimensional and it doesn't always bring us the kind of fruitful depth that we tend to get where we meet other people. And, you know, I think even more so my siblings are a good uh, decade and 10 to 15 years younger than me. And even just witnessing generationally how our reliance on technology to make connections has taken some it's, it's beautiful in a lot of ways. It allows us to be much more global. It allows us to see into things we'd never experienced before, but it also takes us away from the incredible power that we have in banding together um, in community to make these really kind of nuanced, depth-focused things happen. And so I think you having that relationship with yourself then creates that kind of attractive energy for folks that are doing that work and wanting to step into this place of like, here's how I'm different. And I want to be around other people that are embracing that. It actually is that force and that gravity that can make that change happen even more effectively. 
I always, I also like to, so I did a TED talk about embracing your other and activating your superpower. And I know depending on how, what your relationship is to the idea of the superwoman syndrome, it's a whole, or Superman syndrome, it's a whole different story. But I think about how, if we actually viewed the fact that the element that we've either been trying to hide or minimize about ourselves is more like, I don't know if you're an Avengers fan, but more like when Thor reaches his arm out and the hammer comes to him when he's worthy, the power that he has. And Mm. just, it's not some big, huge lift. It's literally like, okay, I'm ready. The ability for you to create space and permission and love and care and compassion and grace around that otherness that has been kind of that little, don't let anybody see you hidden away. If we can actually change our relationship to that, we have so much more that we have the power to do, but we haven't even been given permission to come close to it. Mm -hmm. And so witnessing it, I actually think is one of the most important parts of understanding your otherness, but also seeing and and feeling the power of it. Because I can say it as much as, you know, Mm -hmm. I can try to convince you, I can give you all the stories. You can listen to my podcast, every single one of us, a story about other, but until you're able to witness and feel that in yourself, feel that kind of energy coming back, feel that power coming back in your spine, especially in moments where your entire life you felt as though the power is in someone else's hands. That witnessing and that aha moment, that experience for yourself is the most powerful thing you'll have. And so I I do my best to create a space that if you're willing to try, I'll hold some room for whatever stumbles are created in there or whatever like uh, what I call whisper issues, those things that you're like, I don't really know if I can say that full voice, but can I ask you this question? Mm-hmm. That as we're trying to navigate, how am I allowed to stand out is different rather than, you know, I tried to do that one time and somebody smacked me down or like in high school, that was the thing I was made fun of. Uh, is there room for us to redefine and rewrite that story? Yeah. You know, it makes me think about, I think when we own the thing that's sort of unique to us and we sort of allow that to shine, yes, yeah. it feels vulnerable, but it also feels really good. And and things come with ease, right? Sort of like this, though I'm not an Avengers fan. I haven't seen it. <laughs> whatever you can think whatever you want to think about that but like this oh, no. idea of like a, just attracting this tool right and it's like what can you attract to yourself when you tap into your gift and what happens with ease right i think about you know i think one of my biggest strengths is my voice i've always been loud yes. and outspoken i tell to tell the story of like getting kicked out of a children's choir. I was the only <laughs> black girl and they kept, you're too loud. You're too loud. Your voice is too loud. Your voice is too loud. And so I wasn't invited back. And, you know, I have like, everybody who knows me knows, like, I'm going to probably say something about something. Usually it's about <laughs> some justice or something r- being wrong or whatever. But, you know, and I have felt vulnerable about using my voice. I have, you know, tried to quiet it, never successfully, just couldn't figure (laughs) it out. But I also think about like, now this is like my biggest gift, right? I think about, you know, doing my TEDx talk and how that has brought so many things to my life, speaking opportunities and things that just with ease, like, Somebody sends me an email and it's like, oh, that's an amazing opportunity. I'd love to do that. Right. And this sort of like, how do we, how does tapping into our otherness and our gifts actually allow us to create the life and the world that we want with ease, not with struggle, right? Because so often when we're trying to fit into these molds, right? The parking, well, the emergency break in California, we always called the parking break because you needed the parking break because you're on a hill. But anyway, emergency (laughs) slash parking break, right? Like 
It's so exhausting. It feels like work. It feels like struggle. It feels like efforting. And it's like, well, what if it didn't have to be that way? What if we did things that actually aligned with our gifts, with our skills, and we showed up and did that fully? And yes, that's vulnerable. And yes, sometimes you're going to go against the grain, but the power and the energy and the creativity that comes from operating in alignment is so enlivening, right? And it it allows us to really thrive in a way that it's just really hard to do that when you're stuck in a role or in a system that you feel like you have to gotta you've gotta hide, you feel like you've gotta shrink, you feel like like it is just exhausting. And so I think of like, how do you even start to pay attention to what your body tells you about yeah. when you feel like, oh, like I know my last job, like my I was coming off of a vacation or something, and my body was like, no. No, no. (laughs) And it's like, do you get, like, do you feel the resistance of like, oh, and it's like, that's not, it's, it's normal, but it's not required. And so it's like, how do you, I think both of us have sort of shifted away from systems where we felt confined and have built these businesses and lives for ourselves where we feel free. And it doesn't mean that everybody is meant to be an entrepreneur. Like, I don't believe that, but like, what if you listened to yourself? What if you listened and you felt worthy of ease and worthy of power and worthy of all these things? And instead of saying, well, there's nothing I can do about it because I'm in this job. Yep. That's the way it is. Right. What if you like actually said, Hmm. Let me get curious about what, like, can I experiment with engaging in my otherness or my power or my strength in this job? What's the response? Okay. They didn't like that. Hmm. Okay. Good, good data, (laughs) right? Like what would it be like for me to go somewhere else? Or, you know what I mean? Just to play around with it because I think so often people are like, I'm miserable in this job. I hate it. I'm burned out. There's nothing I can do about it. And there may not be something you could do immediately right? Like you may not be able to immediately leave and change your job. Like that just may not be financially feasible often, especially for women, for BIPOCs, right? Like for gender nonconforming and trans people, like there's often not that flexibility to just be like, peace, I'm done with this job. And what is it like to start exploring this idea of finding a place where you could be your full self and that they would be like, oh yes, bring your full self here. Because I think that's what we start to create and build and attract when we tap into our otherness, our worthiness, all of these things. And life stops feeling like so much of a struggle and starts to feel empowering, liberating, exciting, all of those things. Yeah. I mean, my body just went through so many experiences (laughs) as you were talking about that. Because I think to step into each and every moment along that kind of story arc of like, here's where I'm at. It feels like a fight to wake up every day to do the things that I'm being told I have to do. It feels like I'm constantly working against the grind. And I know what that body feeling feels like. It feels tired. It feels exhausted. It feels like I'm somehow needing a constant oil change or a tune up every day. 
and I can't find it. There's not enough time for it. So I got to push through and work with whatever I can. And I can feel my gears grinding in all the wrong ways. I see smoke coming out of my ears in this Mm -hmm. moment, but you know what? I've been told to just keep going so that this engine can get whatever product it needs to from point A to point B. I will say one of the cornerstones of how I feel like I have shifted my relationship to myself, but then, and I guess this is part of that ripple effect. It is how I operate in my businesses. Every person that comes to me, whether it's in an individual coaching experience or I do group coaching every week, it's fascinating to just create the space in the beginning. And I'm sure (laughs) this is just how things work in therapy too. It's like, all right, tell me what you want me to know. Mm -hmm. And watching how people tell their stories of where they are, why they're stuck and what they want to do. So often the voice that's coming out, or at least the, the metrics of comparison that are coming, aren't their voices. They're Mm -hmm. other people's assessments of what are right and wrong. There are other people's uh, guidance points or five points on how to do this perfectly. And what I, I always think about this because, you know, there are all different people that we've talked about this offline. There are all different kinds of people that are coaches or are helping you figure out where to go next or are experts in how to market yourself perfectly, blah, 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 blah. And so often it's about, you know what, don't even worry about what you think. Just follow these five things that work for me and they will work for you. Mm-hmm. And that is the opposite of the way that I operate because of my like fervent belief that your otherness is actually there. I won't ever know exactly what you need. You actually know it. But the unfortunate part is the world around you has created all of these things that have cloaked and locked it away. And so my job is to create the space for for you to talk, me to ask you questions. In coaching, oftentimes people will be like, you know, I know you're going to tell me I did this wrong because of blah, 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 blah. Or I should have been, you know, especially Mm -hmm. in like a job search situation or with your boss. I should have done this or I should have done that. And so often we just take that should have as like, oh yeah, we should. So we just keep moving. And oftentimes I'm like, but why should, yeah. or like, actually, I don't think you need to be constantly thinking about the job search every moment of every day. I actually think that's more detrimental than it is helpful. Can you look into where things work for you? Can you look into the type of job that you want rather than the type of job where they'll want you? Mm. Um, and even more so as you were talking about like the parking brake, putting that parking brake down and that life of ease. This is another piece that is like, people look at me like I'm crazy sometimes, which I'll take it. I don't mind it. But we have been taught through consumerist culture, through capitalism, for sure, that we need to look outside of ourselves to solve the problems that we have. Mm -hmm. We need to focus on those problems. We need to focus on our weaknesses and we need to fix them before anybody sees them. We can't stumble. Mm -hmm. We can't fall. We need to strive for perfectionism. And the idea that by putting that parking brake down, by living in ease, we're actually like, you know what? Yeah, I'm weak, but that's not where I'm going to focus on my energy. Yeah, I need something, but I don't need to focus every single moment of every single day on that need. I have so much. And so when I work with folks, it's really about initially shifting from that weakness focus lens to that strength Mm -hmm. focus lens to that, okay, who is telling me, understanding the voices in your head and realizing that a lot of them aren't yours. Um, that are telling you to do different things and, and to be a certain way in order to be acceptable and viable. Uh, that that body feeling that you were talking about, about like, I know what it feels like coming back from vacation and dreading, like absolutely mm-hmm. and utterly dreading having to even put my shoes on that I know I only wear when I go to work. Like that experience, that like Sunday scaries of like going to bed on Sunday and knowing you got to wake up on Monday and do that. Like all of those things are wonderful clues that if for some reason the the ability to say, okay, I can do this differently. Or, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to get there because I am so exhausted from 
I'm so burnt out from so much of what I'm doing. I'm not even sure I have the strength to step into those strengths, step into my strengths, step into this new way of operating. I always encourage people to just start really small. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things, you know, if you're like, Nikki, this sounds wonderful, but I don't even know where to start. I actually don't know what my other is because, you know, in order for me to, to keep a flow and to keep doing these things, I can't give myself the ability to be vulnerable at this moment because the amount of energy that takes, I need to use to go to work and to survive and to pay my bills and to do all this. You know, I encourage people oftentimes to like, if journaling is a practice that you like, or if um, speaking something out loud actually really works well for you, you can start with one other story that might be really like, it doesn't need to be the most soft spot you ever had, Mm -hmm. but like try to get in a practice of noticing what is different about you and celebrating that. But also in celebrating it, you can acknowledge the times and the places where it was painful. The fact that pain exists does not mean it's bad. It means mm-hmm. that we're living a human life and there's, it's okay for us to be able to experience emotions on the other side of that pain. If you're telling the story, you're likely on the other side of the pain and able to reflect on it. There's resilience. There's so much that you've learned from it. And it doesn't mean we bypass the pain. We don't act like it didn't happen, but it is, it is something that deserves to be kind of witnessed and honored. And it is so much of that kind of key that keeps you with the ability to do this kind of pushing against the grind work. The more that you get familiar with that body feeling of that strength, of that resilience, of that get back, getting back up, of that, like, when do I feel like I'm in the groove? When do I feel like I'm like in the flow with my friends? When do I feel appreciated? When do I feel like I'm super excited about something? I really like cooking. So whenever I cook, I feel really excited, especially when I'm cooking Haitian food. I am like amped about it. So how can I find what that body feeling is in more parts of my life? That's mm-hmm. all I need to do. I don't need to go and do some big dissertation and study about it. I can just be like, okay, my body gives me clues that my mind might not even know. How can I find where those things are? So you know those feelings of draining and you know those feelings that I don't want to go to work today. That's a helpful piece of, that's helpful clues. But also what are those expansive moments? What are those, oh my God, I'm finally feeling oxygen in my lungs moments. And try to see if there's ways to create more of that because that kind of creates some more sustainable energy to then weather the storm of that job that's really challenging. And yeah, it doesn't mean I'm going to snap my fingers and magically everything's going to be gone and everything's going to be perfect. Even, you know, you're talking about you and I kind of stepping in our own lanes and finding this work. I mean, you could talk to my therapist yesterday. You could talk to my friend. Like there are many moments where I'm like, this is extremely difficult. I felt like crap today. I am doubting myself. You know, is this even worth it? All of that stuff is still happening no matter where you are. And that's the human experience of us actually navigating the ups and downs. And so if you have the ability to bear witness to these things outside of just the uh, the stewing in your brain, like getting it out on paper, or talking to somebody about it, you can realize that it isn't the fullness of your identity, that you exist with that. And it's not the thing that defines you. It gives you so much more autonomy to be making choices in alignment with those things that light you up with your values. And it helps you see from a more kind of strategic point of view of like here, when I take this turn, it actually results in this further down the road. Oftentimes we're exhausted. We can only think of what's right in front of our face. Yeah. I mean, we could talk about this forever, but we're sort of out of time. So we have to kind of wrap it, wrap it there. Um, But, you know, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your wisdom, for sharing your insight and expertise. Can you briefly just share where people can connect with you further or find oh you um, if they're interested in some of the coaching services you provide and that sort of thing. 
Yeah, of course. I mean, the easy part is, so my name is Nikki Innocent. There's not very many of me, but I did find there was one other person with my name. Um, but on social, all the things I'm at Nikki Innocent. So if, if social media is the way that you like to do this and you want to learn some more, feel free to go there. Um, I do a weekly group coaching call. It's a membership that's known as the Career Lounge where you show up where you are and we really navigate whatever challenges are coming up for you. So if any of the stuff we talked about uh, resonates with you, feel free to join us. It's on Thursdays. And we right now we're offering a free week trial so you can give it a try without without having to um, be like, yeah, Nikki, I'm, I'm all the way in. Um, and I also do one-on-one coaching. So if this is something you really want to dive into, I would be just honored to be able to be the person that can bear witness to um, your journey. And I've got all these wonderful things and these wonderful um, tools that we can use. So you don't have to feel like you're alone. You are, I'm going to just hop on the unconditionally worthy train. You are unconditionally worthy. <laughs> and the world is telling you otherwise oftentimes, but that is okay. We create spaces. I know you do as well. Create spaces for that to be, you know, even if it's an hour of time that we can step into be like, oh my God, this is the reality I knew was, was meant for me. So um, I am, I am amped for all the amazing things we get to do together, hopefully in the near future. And for those of you listening, thank you so much for your time and your ears and your energy. Thanks so much, Nikki. And we're going to link her website and socials and all that stuff in the show notes in the description. So you can find more there. All right. Thanks for being on. Thank you. Thanks for joining me this week on the Unconditionally Worthy podcast. Make sure to visit my website, dradiagoodin.com, and subscribe to the show on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. You can also follow me on social media at Dr. Adia Gooden. If you love the show, please leave a review on iTunes so we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Lastly, if you found this episode helpful and know someone who might benefit from hearing it, please share it. Thanks for listening and see you next episode. This episode was produced by Chris and Tiana and the music is by Wadaboy.